Welcome to the Building of Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. J.J., today we're talking about plan. Plan. It is part three of our seven-part series going through the seven-part Story Brand framework. Part four... Yeah, because isn't it character problem guide plan? Oh, I, f- I forgot the guide. <laughs> Part four. And you know why I forgot? Because I wasn't clear on the plan. Yeah. <laughs> which is today's topic. Yes. <laughs> today's topic is the plan. And we had a plan for doing these podcasts, and we are following it. That's right. Yeah. Everybody wants a plan. Mm-hmm. It's actually a marketing point in our framework. Yep. If you haven't tuned in, we are on the fourth week of 2019. In the first seven weeks, we are going through the seven-part story brand marketing framework to help you clarify your message. And we went through character. You have to define what your customer wants. Problem. You have to define three levels of problems and talk about them in order to open a story loop. Mm -hmm. Guide. You have to position yourself in your customer's story as the person who helps them win. And then the guide gives the customer part four. A A plan. plan. Yeah. And plan is um, not the most difficult thing to understand, but it's the thing that a lot of people, I'm surprised, don't do in their marketing. They don't sort of spell out a path that their customer needs to take in order to do business with them. Yeah. And plan is really important in story structure. It's huge in story structure because there's a lot of research that actually shows that presenting a story in chronological order will help with engagement even more. That it actually chronological and we know telling. Why. It's because you have to burn more calories to think if you're having to figure out the chronological yep. order on your own. Yeah, and you see movies that don't tell a story in chronological order, Memento and you know those things. Right. Those are never going to be blockbusters. They may be good art. Well, You, you mentioned Memento <laughs> yeah. and that's the one everybody brings up, and there's a reason only people bring up only one of them, yeah. <laughs> and that's because only one of them has yeah. succeeded. Yeah. There are 99 called anti-structure. Yep. Mm-hmm. There are 99 anti-structure movies for every one structure movie, yeah. and you don't know about any of them. Yeah. You only know about the one structure movie that yeah. made it to the theaters. <laughs> yeah. Everything else lost money because it's a 20-something-year-old person coming out of film school going, I don't have to obey the rules. Yeah. I am that <laughs> yeah. smart. And they find out pretty quickly they're yeah. not. But a plan gives customers a path forward in their story. And one of the things that I see people make mistakes when they are creating a plan is they try to create this huge elaborate plan that's like, here's all the things that we 27 do. 27 steps. 27 steps. And what they're trying to do when they do that is show the value they bring as a company to the client. Right. We do 27 things for you. What that actually does is really confuse the client. It really confuses your customer because they cannot memorize or follow that plan. It takes too much mental energy. Yeah. And people just aren't going to give you that much mental no. energy. So the last movie... Betsy and I saw was Vice mm-hmm. about Dick Cheney. Yep. I was looking forward to it just because I'd seen pictures of Christian Bale and my gosh, he looks like <laughs> yeah. Dick Cheney. I'm like, that's unbelievable. <laughs> and he just won the Golden Globe, didn't he? Did he for, for that? Yeah, I think so. Well, he should have. Yeah. We watched the whole movie. But as I walked out of the movie, I thought Christian Bale deserves something, an uh-huh. Academy Award. But the movie was terrible. Yeah. It was not very interesting. It made a bunch of narrative mistakes that also yeah, parallel like with what, marketing. What happened? Well, one is they couldn't decide whether Dick Cheney was a good guy or a bad guy. Uh, and that doesn't work in film. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. have to have either a good guy or a bad guy. We don't think in nuanced ways when yeah. we go into it. That's one thing. The other thing, though, is they kept going back and forth in time. Yeah. And it basically played out like a slideshow of snapshots of interesting moments of Dick Cheney's life, some in the past, some in the present or future. 
or what would be the future. Yeah. But it caused the viewer to th- have to think too much. Yeah. There was no this happened, then this happened, then this happened. There was no climactic scene. Yeah. It disobeyed most of the rules of story structure and paid for it at the box office. Yeah. You have Christian Bale, a major Hollywood actor, playing one of the most powerful people in the history of the country, an extremely controversial figure. You have angst on the left toward the right who want to go to a movie <laughs> and pay just to be outraged, outraged. by some sort of patriarchal <laughs> yeah. figure. Uh-huh. If that isn't a recipe for a box office sensation, I don't know what is, and they blew it. Yeah. And we do the same thing in our marketing. And you're exactly right. We make people think too much about how they can do business with us and get to the climactic scene that we provide. Yeah. And the way to help them not have to think too much is to provide a path. Yep. And we just call that a plan. This is your way forward. One, One, two, two, three. three. So what it means is, you know, if you're a financial advisor, Let's say you meet two financial advisors at a party. We always use this analogy. Uh-huh, yeah. One financial advisor says, I'm a financial advisor. I can really help you, you know, with your retirement. Let's meet next Thursday. Bring a checkbook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to go to that meeting. Yeah. The, the next financial advisor, though, says, I actually have a three-step plan on how I deal with people. One, I listen to your dreams and goals, and we really just try to figure out what you want to do with your life. Two, I come up with a custom strategy. I deliver that to you. You can use it or not. It's free. And three, if you want, I'll hold your hand and we'll execute this plan together. Yeah. That's a path. Yeah. It's baby steps. Dave Ramsey literally calls them baby steps. Yep. That's his plan. One yep. of the reasons he's so successful is because he gives people baby steps. He doesn't make them think too hard about how to change their lives. It, we've figured it out for you. Just do this, do this, do this. Yeah. And it works. I'm going to share with you at the end of this podcast the one thing, mm-hmm. we'll do this on each of these seven first episodes, one thing that you can do to make more money. Yeah. It has to do with creating this path or creating this plan. But today's interview yes. was actually with Horst Schultz, and he is the co-founder of the Ritz-Carlton. Nice. Yeah. Do you know about this interview? Have you I heard know, it yet? but I have not heard it yet. No. It was one of the, it is, you're about to hear it, one yeah. of the most inspirational of the year. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. His story is very inspirational. He gets into that. But he actually talks about creating a plan because we need a plan for our customers. Yeah. He talks about creating a plan often in the form of guiding principles for your team. Uh-huh. And your team actually has to know where this company is going in a spelled out way, yeah. having a clear mental map, or you will lose morale, you will lose productivity, you will lose efficiency, your turnover rate will go up. Yeah. He talks about getting your team on the plan and moving forward as a brand. I, oh, I love it. I know. Yeah, I love this interview. What and a good it, interview for the beginning of the year. It's a very good interview. His, his yeah. book comes out, I think, in March, and it's called Excellence Wins. And I cannot wait yeah. to read it. <laughs> you know, I didn't know much about him, and then we did this interview, and now I'm, this is going to be the top of my list yeah. for reading in 2019. But he talks about a plan and how to come up with that plan and how to embed that plan into your organization. Yeah. The principle is you need a plan that your customers can follow. You also need one that you're team can follow. But I figured all of our leaders out here would be super interested in hearing from one of the co-founders of the most iconic brands in the yeah. history of the world. <laughs> For real. Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. Yes. And uh, how they get their customer service down with that many thousands of employees is yeah. amazing to me. But they've done it, and they've done it because of this guy and the plan that he actually spells out. So happy 2019. You are now four weeks in. You are almost a month into 2019. You are down five pounds. Your revenue is up 7%. <laughs> you have a great attitude. Amen. You've memorized some poems. <laughs> yes. Your spouse likes you mm-hmm, again. Your mm-hmm. kids respect you. This, is this year is year. off to a great Ugh, start. Why? Because you had a plan and you are executing that plan. If you don't, this may be some inspiration for you to get a plan. Here's my conversation with Horst Schultz, co-founder of the Ritz-Carlton.
Horst, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Congratulations on the book, Excellence Wins. Thank you. Why did you want to write a book, first of all? I want to know that. Well, it was kind of a funny story. I knew Stephen Covey, who everybody knew. I knew him very well, and he kept on urging me to write a book. And of course, I didn't do it. And then when he passed away, I felt nearly guilty that I hadn't written the book wow. according to this urgent. And then I realized, in looking back at the time Ritz-Carlton and creating Capella, I wanted to write a book that honors the people that were connected to it yeah. and tell stories about it at the same time surf, which Covey wanted me to do. He had urged me because he said, you have to tell your story because that means serving people in business and serving others. And so finally I did it because of that. Well, let's reverse engineer this. Where did you first learn or fall in love with the idea of serving people? Very young. I, for some reason, I wanted to work in the hotel business. My parents found a job in the hotel far away at the time, 100 kilometers from the village in Germany where I grew up. And when I started there, there was a maitre d' who was an exceptional gentleman. In fact, the first thing he said, don't come to work for working, for function. Come to work to create something special, no wow. matter what it is you're doing, but it should be special, it should be excellent. He personified service to people. He became a critic, became influencer for me, and that's where I really learned it. It was verified then in many other fine hotels where I worked in Europe, where people had similar attitudes. So we all are the result of many influences that we had in life. Yeah. And those were the influences I had, but that first melody impacted my life. I'm curious, going from serving in the hotel industry to actually starting one of the most iconic brands really in business or hotel history, hospitality history, what was the jump like from being somebody who works in an organization to somebody who co-founds an organization? How did that happen? The only reason I did it, because I had a great job at Hyatt, a fine company, I, and had a fantastic job, and I had my golden handcuffs and all that <laughs> you want in a good job. When those people came and said, you can do operationally what you want to do. What market segment? It's up to you. They had two hotels in construction. And that thought, you can do what you want. And I didn't want to go. But when I started thinking, what would I do? I started dreaming. I started to have a vision, to use the word vision. I saw a great purpose potentially for my life. That's why I accepted the job eventually moved from Chicago to Atlanta, where there were two hotels in construction. A little bit over a year later, we opened our first hotel. I went there because I wanted to create something exceptional, to fulfill a dream. It was strictly vision-driven, totally. It must have been pretty incredible to have a group of people believe in you that much, that they would say, what do you want to do? Let's make something that you want to do happen. Well, one of the presidents who was running the overall company, all the restaurants, there were 150 waffle houses and, and apartment buildings and married hotels and holiday inns and so on. Now we wanted to create their own hotel brand. Right. And Colgate Homes, who was running it all other times, I had worked for him. He knew me. They were developers and investors. They didn't care. They just wanted to work, created their own brand. They accepted to go top market segment. That was the whole direction we had. And that was your idea? Your idea was top market? Yes, absolutely. Gotcha. It was pretty easy to identify. At that time, the leaders in the hotel business worldwide were Hyatt, Hilton International, Intercontinental, 
Western, and they were all pretty much in the same market segment. So I said, why pull into that market segment? Why not step above them into a higher market segment? Which we did. It was a clear decision. It's not what is what market segment is right or wrong. Yeah. It was clear decision. There's nobody really going for a step above it all. We talk at length here at StoryBrand about clarity, about the power of clarity. And I would imagine starting a top market sort of brand or segment of the brand, you've got to have guiding principles, mission statement, core values, those kinds of things. And you're probably talking to a group of 50,000 business leaders. Half of them probably have a mission statement and core values. Half of them don't. And then the half that do, probably at least half of those, their mission statement is printed on a wall somewhere on a piece of paper, and they don't actually remember what it is. How important was it for you first to actually get some guiding principles down on paper and institutionalize those at the founding of a top market segment of a known brand? What you're saying is very generous because half of them don't have it. <laughs> I, much I wanted less. to be generous, yeah. <laughs> I hope nobody gets angry with me. I spoke recently to a very fine company and it told about their vision statement, mission statement. Then I went and talked to at least 20 employees. None of them knew it. Yeah. So it's meaningless. We know that since Aristotle, we know that people want to have purpose and belonging. Your vision statement, your vision statement should be a purpose, an honorable purpose for which you work, what you want to be. When I read vision statements, they're really mission statements. A vision statement is something that you want to be, that would make you proud, that would make others proud. You have to develop a vision that is clear, precise, and then you have to question yourself, is that vision good for all concerned? Is it good for the employees? Is it good for the investors? Is it good for the customer? Is it good for society? Yeah. And if the answer is true, then you connect everybody to that vision. Then you tell everybody in the organization, here's the vision, here's the motive of the vision. And here's how that motive is good for you. Now you have an aligned organization. Everybody talks about a buzzword today, about alignment. Right. Well, you're not aligned unless everybody understands that. And everybody understands what the customer wants. Everybody understands where the company is going, what the motive is, what's good for them, and everybody is in a customer. Now you have alignment. Alignment doesn't mean walking behind each other. How did you create yours? I mean, did you get into a room by yourself and think about it, or did you get a group of people together? How did you create that first? Did you call it a vision statement or a mission statement? We called it a vision statement, but we also created a mission statement. A mission statement is your mission of what you're doing today, gotcha. which should lead you to your vision. They're two different things. Okay. One is desirable down the road, a dream. The other one is what you're doing. We're being excellent to the customer. We care for the customer, which will lead to our being superior to the competition and being the best in the world. Beautiful. That's what it is. So we sat down with a few creators of the company and dreamed about where do we want to be in a few years from now? Who are we? Otherwise, if we become larger, the bureaucracy will forget who we are. We have to put it in writing on where we want to go. Otherwise, the bureaucracy that will be developed invariably will forget it unless we have it in writing. In fact, we give it in writing to every single employee. I was going to ask that. How do you institutionalize it? How do you get it from the boardroom into the subconscious and 
conscious, collective conscious, if you will, of every single team member in the organization. And becomes part of the teaching process. So the first day anybody comes to work, that's what we teach. We don't teach function. We taught who we are, what is the vision, why that is our vision, how it is good for all concerned, what is the mission, what are we doing now, etc. We aligned the employees behind that. And here's what the guest wants. That's all taught the first and second day. We don't teach function the first couple of days. After a few days, we start teaching function. And then what we did, in order to not forget it, we broke it down in 24 components. Hmm. And every day before every shift, one component is taught before every shift to every employee in every hotel. Wow. So it's not forgotten. Just during a stand-up meeting, you do this? A stand-up meeting every single day, 24 points. Today, you have point 11. If you get a complaint, you own it, and it's explained. In 24 days from now, you hear it again. The first component is who we are. Hmm. The second is our vision. The third is our mission. And done are the pieces that gets us there. Are core values included in those 24 pieces? Absolutely, yes. Can you share with us how you came up with your core values? Is it a similar process? We sat down together. Who are we? What's valuable to us? Whom do we serve? Well, we serve the owners. So we put that value in there. We serve the guests. We put that value in there. We serve the employee that put that value in there. We serve the society. We put those values all in there. We knew already it's good for all those concerns. And then we stated how we are serving them as core value. We'll be back with the rest of my interview with Horst Schulz in just a moment. I want you to come to the StoryBrand Live Marketing Workshop. It's taking place in Nashville, Tennessee in only a couple weeks. You need to get your plane ticket, your hotel room booked, Go to storybrand.com and register today. Here's what's going to happen when you get here. Sunday night, we'll have a dessert. We'll do a meet and greet. About 200 people are going to be there. You're going to get to know some folks who are in your line of work, likely trying to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish, trying to clarify their message. You're going to make some friends. And then we do 48 hours of just clarifying your message. That is, we're not just going to focus on the philosophical framework. We're actually going to talk about your brand. You will have a facilitator assigned to you that will help you clarify your message and create a marketing plan that works. If you want 2019 to be your best year, you're going to have to clarify your message and put together a marketing plan that works. If you've read Building a Story Brand, you're probably wondering, okay, am I doing it right? Coming to the live workshop is going to tell you whether or not you're doing it right. You'll leave with confidence. Register for a live marketing workshop and get your marketing troubles solved in only two days. It's in Nashville, Tennessee, February 10th through 12th. Register today at storybrand.com. Storybrand.com. And me and JJ and Kula and about 20 other facilitators will see you soon. Your book is not only inspirational, it's practical. You give very pragmatic advice to business owners on how to structure and organize their their organization. So I think that's really wonderful and generous of you. You talk in the book about four supreme objectives. And I think those four supreme objectives keep the customer, encourage the customers to spend as much as possible, but without sabotaging, no. And all of the above, keep working toward more and more efficiency. You talk about these four you know, supreme objectives. Can you elaborate on those and tell us why they're so important? Sure. The last piece that we discussed, of course, are carefully 
and much more in detail explained what it is and how to accomplish it. Right. As I did about those four objectives, I believe a great company concentrates on four things essentially. Number one, and it cannot be encroached on by number two, three, and four. So these are in rank order, as it were. Absolutely. Number one, and nothing is more important, is to convince every guest to want to come back. Create loyal guests. That's number one. And every employee's objective must be to keep the guests that we have. In fact, if you would walk into Capella Hotel today, you could go into the kitchen and ask the pot washer, what is your objective here? He or she will say, my objective is by my work to convince the guests to want to come back. Mm. That's number one. And so once you know that is number one, you create all kind of prior processes to make sure that happens and improve those processes. Number two is, of course, finding new customers. Number three, let me put it this way. Make sure the customer spends as much as possible. <laughs> now, how do you do that? And what do you mean by not sabotaging the word no? What's that mean? But you don't sacrifice number one. In fact, if you accomplish number one, they will spend more. We know for sure the loyal guest, that's number one, creating a loyal guest, will spend more. Why do they spend more? Because loyalty is nothing else Develop trust in your organization and what you do. And once the customer has developed trust in your organization, if you sell shoes and they develop that uh, trust in your shoe store, the next time they buy shoes, they come back to you again. That's the point. That's what I mean with making sure the customer spends as much as possible because they will buy more from you because they trust you. So it's really number one that creates part of the number two and three. It creates number two because loyal guests go out and recommend you to others. Number one is the thing. And then on the end, you create efficiency. It's also one of those big things out there. When they talk about efficiencies, companies, they really mean cost cutting. Right. That means in a hotel, that means take away the flowers. After all, guests don't come here for flowers. And so we and then we get the, the manager get applauded because he saved money. The reality is he just start hurting the brand. Right. Cost cutting is something different. Cost cutting is means eliminate your mistakes permanently. In that moment, you improve your product and you save money. And find all your little mistakes, of which hidden mistakes there are thousands in every organization. If you eliminate all those mistakes. You greatly improve who you are as an organization and you save money. Most management would probably see the working on efficiency of the organization as a management task. You somehow empowered all of your people to work on the efficiency of the organization. That's right. Can you just speak to our business leaders about how you empowered from the dishwasher all the way to the C-suite, how you empower people? Once they feel that they're overall empowered, they will buy in to the empowerments that you want from them. As an example, in Ritz-Carlton, we went ahead and empowered all employees, all employees, mind you, that they can make decisions up to $2,000 to keep the customer if the customer has a problem. Every single employee where it was empowered. Every single employee. Wow. Every single employee. For example, if the guest comes for breakfast to the restaurant, the waiter said, good morning, sir. 
I hope you have a night stay. And the guest said, no, my toilet didn't flush. Hmm. In that moment, the waiter owns the toilet. If the waiter then can say, please forgive me, sir, key element, because the guest wants to get rid of frustration. The waiter has to say, I'm here to take care of your frustration. I can forgive me, sir. In fact, I feel so bad, I will buy your breakfast. The waiter is empowered to do that. Once we have given that empowerment, they trust the company. Well, they take ownership too. They feel like it's their company and they get to bring customers back. And we told everybody, we trust you to do that. The next empowerment was identify every mistake. In fact, and everyone had, uh, today we can do that electronically much better. But everybody had at the time a defect report in their pocket. If they saw anything wrong, they filled it out. It was correlated if there were defects that repeated themselves. We created teams in the process area where that happened. Let's say it was room service. If it was slow room service, we created a team there to find the root cause of that mistake and eliminate it permanently. And every day we had teams eliminating defects permanently by finding root causes. The employee did. And every time they eliminated a root cause and a defect, that means we improved our product and we lowered our cost. That's fantastic. That conversion is unbelievable. I think we could all learn something from that. It takes much more explanation, which you would find in the book, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to leave without talking about the three ways. There's a couple things I want to talk about, but one of them is the three ways you actually lose customers. You start to cut back on the promise of your brand. We learned from that that we, our brand needs to have a promise to start with. You start to get careless and you start to get arrogant. I think everybody listening can check the box on at least one of those, if not all three, from time to time. What do you mean by cutting back on the promise of your brand? We had a focus group, and we asked about various brands. They didn't know we were talking about hotel brands. We thought we talked about car brands. But then we switched it over to, what about hotels? And one of the members said, there is no such thing than a hotel brand. Or oh, we said, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. They hired Hilton Sheridan, well, and so on. All those brands are there. He said, well, they're names. That's not a brand because I can go from one hotel to the next in the same name, and it's totally different. It has a total quality level. It can be excellent, it can be very bad. And a brand promises something, and they don't keep their promise. That was embarrassing and shocking to me, but it, I took it to heart and said, when we, if we promise something in our advertising, our promotion, in our standards, and being saying we are five star, then we have to be five star, not sometime, but all the time, in every location, in every interaction, in every moment. Otherwise, we are just a name. And so we took that to heart, that comment. If you promise something and live up to it, otherwise you're not really a brand, you're just a name. People come to the Ritz-Carlton, even if they haven't heard an explicit promise, they come with expectations. You know, this is their once a year vacation. This is their honeymoon. This is their anniversary. Breaking a promise, a lot of us would think, okay, we'll do that from time to time. We need to be careful about that. But that's a negative experience for anybody who actually believes that promise and comes to cash in on it. How do you get your employees to feel that? Is it part of the giving them ownership and empowering them uh, to keep that promise? Well, that's it. Even the expectation that we have created is a promise that we have created. Right. So we have to live up to it and communicating that to the employees. All that we teach the first couple of days somebody comes to work. 
And again, we repeat it. We repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Repetition in those elements is so important because we think that employees know it once we tell them the first time. That's totally unreasonable. We have to repeat those issues constantly, what the expectation of the customer is of us. And we told them very simply, if we don't live up to it, then in a way we are liars. In a way we lied. Well, you talk in the book about the importance of repetition, you know, repeating the message over and over. It takes somebody about eight times to hear something before they actually metabolize the information. In that repetition, you're really speaking to management practices, and you say managers push, leaders inspire. And I want to know, when you actually sit down with a new leader at one of your brands, and you want them to be inspirational, what do you tell them? Well, if I would have interviewed them, I would ask them first of what's your vision? See, what is the dream? Do they have a vision? Managers don't usually don't. The vision for their personal life? For their personal life. If I would hire them for a hotel and said, if I put you in that hotel, what do you want to accomplish with it a year or two years from now? If they haven't dreamt about something beautiful, they're not leaders. They want to come in and manage what there is. You don't hire them. If they don't have a vision, a personal connection to that vision, you don't hire them. You don't hire them. Wow. You don't hire them. Because they just want to take care and want to prove themselves with the profit on the bottom line. I want to make profit too, but I don't want to do it by destroying the hotel. It's very easy to make a bigger profit. I can walk into any hotel, any hotel in the world, and make more profit than I did before. I don't paint anymore. I take the flowers away. I make the soap a little smaller and so on. That's what managers do. Leaders say, how to make it better? How to align my employees in it? How to make sure it's too good for them? How do I make sure that they join me? Leaders share. Leaders don't tell them, do this. Leaders tell them, here is why we do it. Horst, this has been just such an unbelievably inspirational conversation. Everybody, the book is called Excellence Wins. It's equal parts inspiration and pragmatic advice from somebody who's been around the block a few times and built one of the world's most iconic brands It is an honor to talk to you. Thank you for the way that you're serving businesses everywhere, not just in your hotels, but actually in your book, helping all of us win. I'm grateful to call you a new friend. Horst, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I was delighted to be with you. So, JJ, we just finished. January 4th, we had a meeting with our entire staff. And we announced our new mission statement and our new core values. Yes. So our mission statement is we train the world's greatest business leaders. And our core values are be the guide, be ambitious, and be positive. So be the guide means always help the customer win. Be ambitious, just go for it. We're trying to put the ball in the end zone and win the Super Bowl here. Yeah. And then be positive is just have an optimistic outlook on everything that we encounter. Because when you're scaling a company up this big... You just have to stay positive. Yeah. There's so yeah. many challenges. There's a lot of like, you got to take a left turn or a yeah. right turn. And What was interesting about this interview is he talked about creating this plan to get your team on the same page before our January 4th meeting, meeting and before we instilled our new mission statement and core values on the team. Uh-huh. We actually, Stephen, who's here in the studio today, got a camera and interviewed every employee yeah. <laughs> and said, what is our mission statement? And nobody knew. And then what are our core values? And nobody knew, yeah. including my wife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, she's like, we don't have a mission statement. <laughs> here's the reality. Only after we did that, that I thought, I wonder if Stephen interviewed me, could I have done it? And yeah. I would not have known our mission statement, which I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> and I would, I would only have come up with two 
of the of our core, core values, values. and yeah. I think we have seven. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we did have seven. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, the other part of this is you know what Horst is saying is really true. It's got to be simple. Yep. It's got to be repeatable. It's got to mm-hmm. be memorable. And then you have to run a propaganda campaign. Yeah. In order to get your team to memorize it. Yes. It's not just a plan. You actually have to spell out the map and then keep people moving on the plan because they're busy. They're yep. busy running your company and making things great. And, and it doesn't make a difference unless you actually implement it. Unless no, it you act make, on yeah. those values and put those into play. You have to execute it. One thing that I was sort of challenged by in this interview was the core values that Horst has. You know, it's things like always keep them coming back or make them want to come back. Mm-hmm. Encourage them to spend more money, mm-hmm. you know, without being slimy. Yeah. Those kinds of things. You know, we have be the guide, be ambitious, and be positive. And I'm wondering if we don't need to evolve that next year to something like always help them love and remember their time with StoryBrand. Mm, you know, things mm-hmm. that actually feel like yeah. rather than be ambitious, yeah, always make the customer love and remember their time with StoryBrand. Yeah, feels more actionable, right? Yeah. It's something that I can do. Yeah. So we're gonna have to talk about that as a leadership team. <laughs> yeah. We are <laughs> never, you know, we're never shy to sort of say we made a mistake. We're changing we're it different. two days yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we should probably run what we've got for a year yeah. because otherwise we're gonna frustrate. Yeah. If we people. actually tell them there's a plan we got to run the plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It. So I was sort of challenged by that. I thought, yeah. you know, making it plain and simple is really the key. Yeah. All right, I promised you one thing that you could do to grow your company. One thing. Where every week for the first seven weeks, we're going to give you one thing. And here's the thing. You probably already know what it is. You need to break up the steps it takes to do business with you into three steps. Mm-hmm. Break it up into steps or three phases, right? And so you want to be able to say, first do this, second do this, third do this. So the customer has a path to walk down. Okay, so if you're a custom home builder, it would be choose the land that you want, work with our architects to design the home, and then we'll begin executing that. You know, And you say, well, of course that's how it works, but yeah. your customers don't know that. Exactly. They can't smell out the three steps, and they will not walk into a fog. Yeah. They won't do it. If there's a fog and they're confused, the hard thing is you're not in the fog. Yeah. You understand exactly how your company works. It, yeah. You look outside and you're like, it's crystal clear. I don't understand why we're not getting a business. They can't see you because of the fog yes. from their perspective. Yeah. And you've got to break through the fog on their perspective, and they will do business with you. I am shocked at how many of our clients have created three steps, and they see business increase. Yeah. You know, it'd be like if I said, I'm not from this neighborhood. Where's the nearest gas station? And you said, it's east. Yeah. <laughs> just go down the road. Yeah, yeah it's, it's east. Just, it's just over Just go there. east. Yeah. I got to find a compass. I gotta, yeah. <laughs> what I'm looking for is, hey, take a left at the stop sign and a right at the stoplight, and it's two spots down on the right. Yep. That will get me to the gas station. Mm-hmm. But it's east is not going to. Yeah. And a lot of customers want to do business with us. You know, they're thinking, how do I do business? And all you're saying is it's east. Yeah. They're not going to follow through. And the that. reason we really recommend three, there's a number of things. Right. There's a lot of studies that actually go into the idea of how people memorize things. We memorize things. It's called the rule of threes. Right. So there's actually, we memorize things easier with threes. Telephone numbers, five, you know, you do like three, 503, yeah. 503 838, three, and yeah. then you have four at the end because four actually works as well. But really three is the number one. When you have an emergency, you dial 911. We memorize three, right? right? That's how that works. And again, going back to a lot of people think, well, if I put in the seven steps or the 10 steps that we do, that's going to show how much value we bring and all the hard work we do. It's a temptation and we have to avoid. that makes the story about you. The story right. is not about you. And the it's confusing. The story is about your customer and they have to have an easy path forward and you have to show them what that easy path looks like Yeah. and they have to be able to memorize it. And here's the thing. A lot of people, and they're often young, but I've met plenty of people in their 50s and 60s who do this. They want their product to be so amazing 
that people will work through the mystery to find yeah, yeah. it and get it. And they don't. Yeah. Every one of those people are not doing well in business. Yeah. I sit there and I look at the writings on the wall. Yeah. And I would say, no, the people who are going to do great in business make it easy for their customer to give them money in exchange for a product or service. Yeah. <laughs> make it easy for a customer to give you money in exchange for your product or service, and they will give you more money. Yeah. Make it easy. All right, so that's today's tip. You know, we've gone through four of these now. Mm-hmm. Your customer, define what they want, define their problem as number two, position yourself as a guide, and give them a plan. Next week, we're going to talk about call to action, mm-hmm. the fact that you need to challenge your customer to place an order. And I'm going to tell you why you need to be more like an infomercial host (laughs) than a passive-aggressive therapist. (laughs) That's next week's Paradigm Shift. You say, Don, I don't want to be an infomercial host. I guarantee you're never going to get there. But you need to move that direction if you want to do more business. you got to ask for the sale. If you have a solution to somebody's problem, I think you're morally obligated to tell them about that solution. That's next week on the Building a Story Brand podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Get my book, Building a Story Brand. If you want to know more about the framework, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you buy books. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's music on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. 